Corruption Watch presents the Analysis of Corruption Trends Report. In the 2021 edition of the Analysis of Corruption Trends Report, or the ACT Report as we call it, the fifth of half-yearly reports that we publish at Corruption Watch, whistleblowers of corruption show that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Acts of corruption continue to leave a trail of destruction. The mayhem appears to continue unabated as South Africa finds itself more or less where it was last year this time. The report looks at corruption reports by province. It shows Gauteng leading the pack with 44%. As told by 1,964 whistleblower accounts, violence is the order of the day. People's lives and communities across the length and breadth of the country are ruined by dodgy dealings for tenders, theft of essential resources, mismanagement of basic service delivery processes, and poor governance typified by wasteful expenditure. The fact that we are hovering at the same mark is a telling sign of private and public sector efforts to fight corruption. The lack of progress in this respect unfortunately spells an even darker state of affairs for millions of impoverished persons. I am Melusi Ngala, Senior Researcher at Corruption Watch, a social justice organization that advocates for a corrupt-free South Africa. With the help of whistleblowers and the Corruption Watch team, I will be taking you through a journey of resilience and bravery as I highlight deeply worrying findings and tragic stories that emanate from this year's ACT report. The ACT report is a collection of whistleblower accounts that we have received from the 1st of January to the end of June 2021. Since 2012, we have been encouraging members of the public to report incidents of graft to us. Between then and the end of June 2021, the organization has recorded almost 35,000 reports of corruption. These accounts highlight injustices experienced by Abogogo Nabomkulu in our communities, educators and students in our institutions of learning, general laborers, professionals, women, civil servants, and on and on and on. When I conduct an analysis of the data that we have received, I often think to myself that these are the voices of the forgotten, the downtrodden. These are the voices of the little people who have raised their hand in protest against the greed and selfishness of the powerful, the unscrupulous politicians and business persons in our midst. Corruption Watch, hello? Corruption Watch is situated in the heart of Johannesburg, South Africa. 
It is in this fast-paced metropolis where sounds of heavy traffic, crowds of people, the song and dance of protests, and the smell of an assortment of foods filter through the streets. This is where our team of approximately 25 members meet to work together towards a common goal, combating corruption in the interest of social justice and the advancement of human rights. Our various teams process hundreds of corruption cases on a monthly basis. The allegations are investigated, used for legal interventions, exposés and research endeavours to bring about social, legal and policy changes. In the first half of this year, we collected just under 2,000 reports of corruption. The key takeaways from this year's ACT report are The corruption cases collected during this period are not necessarily a measurement of graft in South Africa as a whole. But these acts exemplify what is occurring in various sectors in society and the extent of the damage caused by them. From the time that we published the Corruption in Uniform report, which looked at corruption in the policing sector, fast forward to the advent of the VESA tool. And in light of the recent civil unrest, police corruption continues to be a top trending focus area. The acts of corruption in this area are heightened by violence, intimidation, and gross abuse of power. Abuse of authority is a growing concern for it is amongst the most prevalent forms of corruption reported. And finally, compared to other corruption datasets that we have published, there are considerably fewer cases of employment corruption reported by whistleblowers. But in the education sector, in particular schools, this form of impropriety is reportedly significant. The most common forms of corruption in the first six months of this year range from the payment of kickbacks in the awarding of tenders to the abuse of authority in relation to employment processes. The trending forms of corruption during this period are maladministration and procurement corruption which stand at 16% each. Abuse of authority, which includes whistleblower victimization, comes in at 15%. Fraud is at 12% and bribery extortion is at 10%. Whereas in the 2020 edition of the Act report, the mishandling of food parcels was at the center of COVID-19 related corruption, this time around, we see an assortment of issues which have elevated this hotspot to among the most reported areas. COVID-19 related corruption represents 8% of the cases received. It is second to police corruption, which counts for 12%. Third is corruption in schools, which counts for 6%. And corruption in public housing, for 4% of cases received. The whistleblower accounts 
come from all corners of the country. Our data shows that the highest number of reports come from Gauteng province, which is at 42%. This is followed by the Western Cape, as well as KwaZulu-Natal, which count for 9% apiece. Worth noting too, is that over 50% of the whistleblower count emanate from metropolitan areas, such as city of Johannesburg, city of Tswane, city of Ekurileni, city of Cape Town, and Eteguini Metropolitan Municipality. But what do these figures tell us? What do they say about the lives of many ordinary people that have been decimated by the insatiable greed for money by elected officials and companies? To get some of these answers, we will turn to my colleagues and comrades, Kavisha Pillay, who is the team leader for stakeholder relations and campaigns, as well as Zanele Moale, who is the senior forensic investigator under the legal and investigations unit. These are the people alongside at least a dozen other corruption-wide staff members who interact directly with the organization's external partners, community members, as well as whistleblowers. Personally, I find my fellow activists, Kavisha and Zanele, okay and Cezanne, as they are affectionately and respectfully referred to, as people who are sympathetic and compassionate. These are just ordinary people trying to access basic goods and services or report incidents of corruption and then get exploited and violated by the very systems that have been established and set up to protect them. I felt very bad because you poor, you don't have resources in terms of fighting your case. You are working in an organization, you are honest, and you work according to the book. But because of your superiors in the organization or in the company, they can do what they want. And even though that can be very serious sounding, given the nature of the discussion that we're having, they can also be lighthearted and easygoing. Okay, talk to me as though you would if we are in the office. <laughs> but then I can't swear. <laughs> <laughs> No, then, I, then I'll just throw in the bra and no, you must, I'll talk to you like I was doing an interview. Good morning. Okay, Because Kay works with me on the data analyses, which gives her a bird's eye view of the trends and patterns, she has opted to speak to corruption issues in respect to the police, vehicle and driving licensing centers, as well as public housing. Some of the stuff in relation to policing are not new issues, but they seem to be reported more frequently. And this has to do with hijackings. So where victims of hijackings or car theft would report their incident to the SACs, you'd find that a few days later, an official claiming to be from the SACs would contact those victims to say that we've recovered your car. It's at the border. And in order for us to retrieve this car, you have to pay us a certain amount of money, usually between two to 5,000 rand. SAPS, or S-A-P-S, is the South African 
police service. Barring jurisdictional laws, they operate nationally. And they are different from Metro Police who primarily enforce municipal bylaws. When Kay speaks about these brazen and devious behaviors attributed to some of the police officers and officials, this insight is obtained from abuse of authority, dereliction of duty, and bribery, extortion, corruption cases in this hotspot. These count for 37%, 34%, and 22% respectively. Another syndicate that has popped up that is a bit more explicit involves individuals who procure the services of sex workers. What seems to occur is that a few days after the event, the police would then call that individual to say that there is an allegation of you raping the sex worker. And if you don't pay us a bribe, you will then face criminal charges and will come to arrest you. Afterwards, the individuals who procure these become vulnerable to police exploitation. And there's a few reports that speak to this and speak about the ongoing harassment that they face from the police. Of course, you know, these individuals are now embarrassed. They don't want their families or friends to know about this. So then we'll continue to pay the bribes. Just like anything else that humans can exploit to make a quick buck from, the pandemic has become an occasion to make money for opportunists as well. For years, Corruption Watch has been receiving reports of wrongdoing in relation to licensed centers. In the 76% of bribery extortion cases received in respect to this area, officials are alleged to be demanding personal fees to assist prospective drivers, as well as people wishing to renew their licenses. We have also picked up a new trend. During the COVID pandemic, what has been interesting is because of the nature of going to renew your driver's license, there's very long lines outside these licensing centers. And there are officials who dress up and look like they work for the licensing department who'd come out and meet people who want to renew their licenses. And they'd say to them, you can't come inside because of COVID, but give us your ID number and we'll go and process it for you. And one of the reports that we received was from a young man who talks about this where he gives his ID number and the official comes out to say, you know, there's all of these fines against you. So we can't renew your license, but, you know, go and draw some cash and you can give me that money, then we'll be able to process your application for you. And this person goes and gets all of the money thinking that these are fines under his name. And it turns out that actually those officials who came out didn't actually work for the licensing department and just defrauded people and scammed people in the line. Now, South Africa has a housing problem and many poor people are struggling to find decent accommodation to live in. This is an old issue. The late president Nelson Mandela's administration came up with a policy known as the Reconstruction and Development Program. It is through this initiative and several others that public housing is to be provided for by the state to struggling South Africans. But housing departments at the local, provincial and national levels of government have been rocked by corruption scandals. 
More specifically, according to our data, 29% of the cases are about maladministration, fraud cases count for 21%, and the abuse of authority counts for 16%. Beneficiaries of RCP houses coming to Corruption Watch to note that they have been on the housing list and the official register notes that they've received a house. When in fact this is not the case, they are still waiting to be allocated a house. And what they're reporting to us is that a lot of these RCP houses are usually allocated to friends and family members of ward councillors or people who bribe their way in order to actually purchase that house. That said, it seems like the daily hardships experienced by ordinary people due to corruption do not end with them being homeless, unprotected by the police and at the mercy of unethical officials. Since then talks about a case of corruption relating to the Johannesburg Development Agency where a whistleblower suffered adverse consequences. He went through a lot. I think he lost his job. And then you also mentioned that he's going through a divorce. There's a lot that the whistleblower is going through. Because at the very same time, he went to knock in each and every door, like the works, the subs, a labor court. But to date, there's nothing positive. This is a classic story of dishonesty, unethical conduct, and treachery. The Johannesburg Development Agency is a municipal entity in the city of Johannesburg. Its budget runs into hundreds of billions of rands every year. And the agency's mandate is to manage infrastructure development and maintenance. As the slogan says, building a better city. However, according to this whistleblower, this may not necessarily be so. Politicians interfere in the operations of the agency and this is all to their benefit. The whistleblower was working at JDA as an executive manager, development implementation. He was running the unit where he holds the budget of JDA in terms of paying procured projects. He was under pressure from the executive committee which include JDA board members, where he has to increase the budget that is not budgeted and pay some suppliers where procurement policies were not followed. There was one incident where he was asked by the CEO of JDA to pay a, a supplier, whereas there was no budget approved and the procurement policies were not followed. The whistleblower refused to pay that supplier due to the fact that um, he didn't receive proper documents. When the executives of the agency became increasingly frustrated with the whistleblower, they hatched a plan to dismiss him. The whistleblower's working conditions became more strenuous after a new appointment was made by the agency filling the position of chief executive officer. That happened three months after the CEO was appointed, where the whistleblower was experiencing problems, where the CEO put him under pressure. They asked him to increase the budgets of other procured projects, 
where they say maybe the amount is uh, 10 million rand, and then they will come to him and say, no, you have to increase the budget to 40 million. He was suspended from his work. The executive of JDA made it a point that they work with his junior staff not to give him information because after each and every project, his duty is to write a report about what was the project, how much was the project budgeted for, what was the duration of the project, and was the project completed. I asked my comrades why these whistleblowers chose to approach Corruption Watch with these complaints. With regards to the case that Sizan is working on, she says, He met one of our ex-employees and he talked to her about his case and then our ex-employee advised him to contact me so that he can come to our office and give us his story and give us the files, supporting documents and so forth. Case more holistic. A lot of the time when whistleblowers come to Corruption Watch, they've already exhausted a lot of the other avenues to report this instance. So if you've been exploited and abused by the SAPs, chances are you're not going to go back to the SAPs to report this matter again. Why Corruption Watch continues to receive a high number of reports is because we are independent from the state and that there is perhaps a higher level of trust in Corruption Watch than there is in state institutions and agencies where there is this perception that these agencies only protect the corrupt and they don't actually stand up for ordinary people. If anything, these responses highlight some of the difficulties faced by whistleblowers in general. Though the country has laws such as the Protected Disclosures Act and sections from the constitution to aid whistleblowers, Kate and Sizan think that they are great challenges. I mean, the most obvious ones is a threat to their safety and security. And we know that a number of whistleblowers continue to face harassment and victimization because they've blown the whistle. There's definitely this safety and security issue. But there's also financial problems that whistleblowers face because they put their lives and their livelihoods on the line. I've dealt with so many whistleblowers who blow the whistle, but at the end of the day, most of them, they end up being frustrated. As corruption ones, we try to assist them as much as we can. And finally, in terms of advice, this is what the two comrades had to say. What I can say is, before you open your mouth about anything that is happening in your organization, more especially if you're still working in that organization, make sure that you protect yourself. If you, you want to send an email where you talk about the, you blowing the whistle about the corruption that is happening in your organization, open an anonymous email or use an anonymous phone, but make sure that you make a follow-up with the organization that you reported to. I think it's important before blowing the whistle to understand the risks that come with it, to be aware of the legislation. So if you are employed to understand the Protected Disclosures Act 
and its limitations to speak to others who may have been in a similar environment so that you're fully aware of the situation and the scenarios that may unfold and also to be mindful of the fact that you know despite what politicians say about their commitments to fighting corruption it takes a very long time for information to be investigated and to be investigated thoroughly to a point where individuals are held accountable In view of the recent civil unrest and the service delivery protests that are popping up in every corner of the country, perhaps the time to introspect has passed. The ill effects of centuries of economic crimes coupled with daily occurrences of grand political and petty acts of corruption are evident in the appalling conditions that people live in. As we have cautioned before, the situation is untenable and corruption is the fuel that is feeding this raging fire. For us at Corruption Watch, our task is to heed the call, as we have been doing since 2012, recording tens of thousands of sorrowful stories of corruption and to implore those who are elected or employed by the state, as well as the private sector, to act in order to safeguard the lives of all persons, especially the most vulnerable and destitute. There needs to be accountability from the top downwards. A proper exercise of this principle may give people some semblance of justice as we work towards restoring human dignity and eradicating inequality and poverty. Thank you for joining us for the research edition of the Corruption Watch podcast. For more on the ACT report, some of our other work to blow the whistle on corruption and to support our projects and campaigns, please visit our website at www.corruptionwatch.org.za Until next time, hashtag my hands are clean.